Pastor Mike, good afternoon. Welcome to Man in Light on Manx Radio. The Treasury Minister, Dr. Alex Allenson, MHK, is with us today. Well, the budget has appeared. Now it's getting everything uh, into gear. It's applying the policy. So if you want to talk to Dr. Allenson today about what's happening in Treasury and his views, of course... uh, Here's a Ramsey MHK. In fact, we're all over Ramsey for the next few days. Tomorrow, Laurie Hooper, DHSC minister, will be on Man in Line. And on Monday, uh, Joe McGuinness, the uh, lead Ramsey commissioner on um, uh, finance, will be on uh, Manx Radio as well. Uh, but uh, we welcome Dr. Allenson. Good to see you. Hello. Lovely to be back here. Jolly good. Everybody's asking, how's your throat? <laughs> well, it's very nice for you, for you to ask. My, my throat's fine. I do apologise for the coughing and, and my voice. Um, it, it, it's such law, really, that um, I got a bit of a cold just before the budget debate. And, and I do apologise for those people trying to listen in on Manx Radio because you heard an awful lot of coughing. Hopefully, an awful lot of politics as well. Yes, uh, but you're on there, and of course, uh, physician heal thyself. What does a what does a GP do to heal himself? Um, he he listens to good advice, and actually, I, I the the Sunday before. Um, before uh, the budget, I actually went into the Ramsey College Hospital and had a chat with their MI, MIU team, who were fantastic. And I said, "Look, can you can you know?" I, I hadn't slept very well that night. Can you just check my my, my lungs out for me? Um, they they did, and they said, "Yes, it is probably just the, just the virus. It wasn't COVID. I tested for that." I um, got some fantastic advice and, and support from them up in up at the Ramsey College Hospital. Uh, ahead of the budget, the Chief Minister basically warned everybody things are going to be bad. He said for the next. 12 months, uh, you know, the tough economic conditions, businesses struggling, supplies, cost chains, staffing, productivity, pressures won't get any easier over the next 12 months. Uh, who puts together the budget? Uh, I mean, how much do you say do you have, yeah. your team behind you, chief minister, previous treasury ministers, who puts it together? And obviously, you started a while back. Yes, I, and, and this is the, the first budget process I've been involved with. And you, you're quite right. I mean, in, in some ways, standing up on, tu- on Tuesday and giving the speech um, was a bit of an anticlimax because we've been doing this for the last six months. In fact, the budget process for next year starts around about now. We start thinking about what we need to do. So so what happens over the summer when Tim Wald is, isn't sitting is that um, I've been working with all the ministers, all the Treasury officers to, to look at the overall finances, you know, what we've got in reserves, what's coming on the horizon that we need to fund, but also what the whole budget looks like. And and we start off by, by saying roughly how much money are we getting in? And most of that's through tax, um, the majority through VAT um, now, nowadays. How much money we've got in and how much money we can spend. And what we've done this year is com- completely um, change the budget process, both in terms of revenue that departments have got to spend, but also the capital budget as well, how, how we actually build stuff on the Isle of Man. And more importantly, perhaps how we maintain stuff have we shaken the effects of covid off no. Financially, I mean, no. There's there's still some 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 costs there that need to be mopped up. Um, there's still that that time lag, though those two years where the world seemed to stop, um, and so some of the policies and and changes we wanted wanted to bring in were put on hold. And there is that that chance to get back on on, on track now. But of course, the, just as we were coming out of of COVID, we then had the the war in Ukraine. Now. 
prices were going up before that happened in terms of energy. Because if you remember, there were lots of um, supply issues coming, particularly from, from the Far East. Um, so prices were going up. Gas prices were going up. That then got really accelerated um, in, in February last year with the Russian invasion um, of, of, of Ukraine. That brought in a huge amount of volatility and uncertainty into the market. And then later on last year, of course, we had um, some um, interesting decisions by the UK Treasury, which had a direct effect on interest rates as well. And so we've seen a huge amount of volatility in terms of um, the worldwide economy, which has had knock-on effects to us. And so Treasury has had to, to take stock of that because wages going up, energy prices going up, affect government expenditure in exactly the same way as it affects household expenditure. Is it true, um, and maybe I'm reading more into this, but uh, at the last presentation it was hinted that our investment strategy paid for a lot of the COVID costs in the way that we used and played the market. And obviously, we have people who manage our investment portfolios. But did our investment strategy cover the costs of COVID? Unfortunately not. And what, what you saw at the start of COVID, if you remember, was a huge crash of the stock market because of that that uncertainty. Nobody knew what was going to what was going to happen. Now it has picked up since then, and obviously um, we use uh, very good um, investment managers to to manage the reserves. Um, but we've seen that the stock market change quite rapidly. We've seen the amount we get from that, um, you know, go go up and down quite erratically. And again, you. you you can't you can't budget on, on what you might earn on, 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 on interest and on dividends. What we need to do is have a balanced budget and sustainable into the future. So it helps and investing our reserves help, but they don't cover the full cost of, yeah. of COVID. That was a big hit for, for both the you know the extra revenue we were spending. How much did it cost us product. altogether? Around about two hundred and thirty million pounds um, in in terms of increased revenue that we were spending to to support the local economy and also decreased income coming in because we didn't have a tourist trade. Um, you know there were no there were almost no flights coming into the airport. The um, the Ben McCree was going backwards and forwards, sometimes empty, except it was bringing in essential freight and essential supplies for our island uh, when we needed it most. Okay, uh, just going back to the investment, who manages the funds, by okay. the way? We've, we've got five um, investment managers who have discretionary funds um, who, who manage it, um, and they report directly into an investment committee, part of Treasury, um, and we, we look at those investments very, very carefully. been asked questions in, in the House of Keys recently about our exposure to um, fossil fuel companies, things like that. We've got very much an ethical investment policy, um, but, but again, we've had to draw down on those reserves over the last two two years. And part of the budget is me being honest and realistic, as the Chief Minister has been, in that to, to actually um, afford some of the essential services we deserve and we expect, we're going to have to draw down on reserves again this year to the, to the tune of about £152 million, we think, um, going forward, and then look at how we can grow government revenue to meet that expenditure, because we have to come in with a balanced budget. Right. The people who invest are they government employees or are they, are they external the, or the, commission? The, or how the, does it these, work? Are, these are private investment companies. Um, we, we go out for tender. We try to pick the best investment companies um, that, that we can. We monitor their, their performance very carefully um, and we go through a regular review of that and we're going through one at, at the moment actually. 
Okay, uh, Julian's uh, with us now on Man in Line. Uh, hi, Julian. You're live with Dr. Alex. Hi, Andy. Um, hi, Andy, and uh, hello, Alex. Hello there. Hi. Um, question about your assisted dying bill. Um, which countries are you looking at for the protocol of the ingredients that will be given to people? Okay, so um, thanks very much for the for the question. The in in terms of protocols for for how you would achieve assisted dying, should the bill um, pass? Um, what 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 I've personally done is is talked to doctors both in Australia and America in terms of the various medications they're using um, for for oral route and their experience in, in in terms of how those work, how effective they are, and possible side effects. And I think as different jurisdictions across the world, um, and we're talking over over twenty um, countries across the world have brought in since the dying, we're learning a lot more about. How how you can, can actually achieve that in the right way by using the right medications. Uh, yeah, the reason I ask is, I mean, for example, if you look up, say, um, DDMA Oregon, and you look at the official government um, data on it, they're saying that some people can take eight hours, and in Canada it's up to 31 hours has been recorded using, uh, I think the DDMA is digoxin to stop your heart, I think, and then you've got... Um, diazepam and then you've got um, morphine sulfate and you've got uh, amitriptyline. So um, what they're finding is that especially if it's in younger people, even if they are terminally ill, because it's ingested through, you know, you have to take it, as far as I'm aware, you have to take it orally as a powder or a tablet um, and the your stomach tends to be a barrier unlike an injection. So um, is there any guarantees for people that it's going to be sort of, you know, a few seconds and you're out and you never, you know, what, what are the guarantees that there won't be any sort of downside to this? Well, uh, the, when you're giving medication, the, you're quite right. You need to look at a whole range of variables, the person's size, what other drugs they might be on at the time, um, and also their, their rate of absorption. And that can be affected by a whole range of different issues, including their, their underlying diagnosis and what's wrong with them. What I, by, by talking to physicians administering assisted dying, what, what I've learned is that they've developed different ways of doing this. So particularly in California, they use barbiturates more um, and they're, they're, they've, they've actually got a much wider experience of, of the effectiveness of these medications. Now, you're quite right in the same way as anaesthetics sometimes don't quite work for, for people 100% of the time. Sometimes assisted dying may not achieve um, death in a very small number of cases. Um, but again, that's why we need those safeguards around any future legislation we bring in to make sure that people are supported right the way through the process, make sure they're given the right information and make sure they have the right level of capacity to consent to this in the first place. And that's one of the debates I'd like to have on the floor of the House of Keys. Yeah. Um, how do you safeguard um, the safeguards in the future? If, if um, say, say in a few years' time you're not there, as in the case of Canada, for example, where they are amending the safeguards to allow for, say, mentally ill who aren't terminally ill, who just feel like they want to do it and they're granted within 90 days they can do it. Um, are you going to try and enshrine some sort of a constitution rather than just legislation? Um, you know, something that's 
sort of more like a padlock that can't be changed by a future government. And is there such a thing? Um, <coughs> sorry. I mean, the Canadian case is really quite interesting because the, their parliament passed a, a law um, and set that in statute. And, and we know that some of the laws we're, we're using even now have been there for over 100, 100 years and haven't been changed. Their, their court, one of their Supreme Courts, rules that by restricting um, access to assist the dying, that, that was infringing other people's human rights. And so their, their parliament was, was obliged to change the laws in, in view of that ruling. Um, that's their, their particular constitution and, and the way that their um, legislature interact with the judiciary. I think on the Isle of Man, we, we're in a different situation in, in that we work very closely through the Attorney General's office with the, the, the judiciary in terms of the laws we pass. We make sure that they're compliant with things like equality and human rights. So I don't see that same concern that a, a, a legislation that is passed by the representatives of the Manx people would have to be changed. And again, it's, it's always up to the members of the House of Keys and the members of Timwald to determine the legislation and be able to change it, either to make it more progressive or actually more restrictive or get rid of it completely. Okay. All right. Thanks, Julian. Thanks very much, Andy. All right. Good to hear from you. Thanks for that. Well, this is a private member's bill, but obviously it's informed by your experience as a GP. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm surmising, in your experience, you've been with people who've died. I, I, I have. Um, and... <laughs> Although it sounds morbid, I think any, anyone who works in, in palliative care, any GP who, who's built up a relationship with somebody um, and looked after them during their terminal stage realises the, the importance of, of a good death. Um, and that's not just for the, for the individual involved. That's for the people they leave behind, the family, um, their, their relatives, um, their friends, um, their, their lasting memory of that person and how they passed. And I've been there um, at, at the time of people's passing and you can handle it very well. And we do have um, some fantastic palliative care services on the island through hospice, but also um, in people's homes as well to help people through the process and give counselling to those left behind. The whole idea of assisted dying is that it's not a, a, a criticism of what we have and it's not to in, in any way distract from it, but it's a, an extra choice that people could make um, because all of us, when, when we're faced with our own demise, um, may make different decisions. Um, and for some people, that loss of autonomy, that loss of dignity um, is absolutely unbearable and they'd like to have control over, the, over their own passing. Are you confident this will go into law? No, I, it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not arrogant enough to think that just because I've got leave to introduce, it's going to sail through. These are very difficult decisions. They're, they're in, in many ways, there is no right or wrong. They're, they're, the, the idea of creating and assisted dying law is to give people that choice, that opportunity, which may only be taken up by a, by a handful of people. But for those people, it could be the most important thing they ever do. Um, and what my role um, is is really, as, as an MHK, given that platform to have the privilege of bringing private members to Bill, um, do as much as I can to, to make that argument to my fellow MHKs um, and, and, and allow them to understand why I think this is really important for the island to bring this forward. OK, uh, we're live with the Treasury Minister, Dr Allenson's with us through till one. Howard, you're live with uh, Dr Allenson. Uh, good 
Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Minister. Good afternoon. Um, I'll apologise, first of all, for raising this, but um, in the last week we've had this disgusting <laughs> situation within the schools of sex education. Um, now, I know there's going to be an inquiry, but can I ask you on behalf of the people of the island that the people who introduced this and the people who carried out the system will not be able to take early retirement, um, resign, go off sick or anything else before <laughs> the end of the inquiry because unfortunately, and it happens in many occasions, the people who are responsible for these decisions uh, leave the system and they, uh, they, they don't meet the consequences then. I know, um, I've heard of this, and it's from a very reliable source. It's, I won't name anybody simply because they easily be picked up on. It's actually filtered down through into the primary school, and I'm talking about young primary school, uh, which is something that's going to have to be sorted out because this is going to affect the generation that's coming up through and the generation afterwards. So somebody has got to face the consequence of introducing this and uh, pushing it down through the education system. Okay. Okay, uh, Howard, you make a very good point, and I think what you're talking about is accountability for, for, for the actions of government and, and the actions of people um, in education, and I completely agree with you. The Chief Minister was on Manx Radio th this morning um, and noted the concern for, for people all over our island about what went on, but but more than that, the, the, the urgency of finding out what actually happened. Now, I don't have any children who go to, to, to Peel. We're talking about... Um, it, to begin with, one class apparently that, that happened just before half term, and what happened in that class, and obviously that's really upset some of the parents whose, whose pupils were involved in that class. So it's absolutely right we get the facts to see exactly what happened that in that class, um, but also wider than that, we look at the way we educate children about relationships and health and sometimes about sex, okay. um, and, and to make sure that that's brought in in an age-appropriate way and make sure that we have the right policy, but actually we have the right way it's introduced to those classes. Okay. All right, Howard, thanks for that. We have to move on. we got lots of stuff. Yeah, up. All right, thanks for uh, being with us. There was a debate uh, this week in Keys about reducing portion sizes for Manx primary school meals, which has raised some concerns. Uh, we've had messages in about it. The education minister said the decision was made after consulting with public health and dietitians, but is this a financial thing? No, it's not. I, actually, I've, I've, I've talked to Minister Edge about this, and it's not to do with finances. The, there are issues about childhood obesity. There are issues uh, uh, about um, how, how we we educate um, children to eat the right things, to take the right amount of exercise. Um, but and part of that is also um, how we provide meals in schools. And I think what, what has happened um, is a, a policy in terms of controlling the amount of food that's given out, making sure it's healthy sized portions, um, has perhaps got confused with some of the other issues about nutrition for children and how that differs. And, and again, I think in the same ways we might talk about 
um, educating um, young people about sex. One size does not fit all. You need to, to look at um, different children, how much sports they're doing, how big they are, what sort of amount of foods they, they, they require. And so you can have guidelines, but I really respect the ability of the teachers and those people working in school catering to actually tailor that for the individual child because they know who they are. They know what they're like. There'll be some who won't touch anything that's green and the others that will actually hoover up anything that's put on the plate in front of them. We're with uh, Dr. Allenson, the Treasury Minister's on Man in Line today, and uh, we've got lots of questions, lots about Ramsey uh, to uh, to get to as well. But if you want to speak to the Treasury Minister, call 66 13 68. You text 166 email studio at maxradio.com, um, and WhatsApp on 166 as well. Six o'clock tonight, by the way, there's a look back at Dr. Allenson's budget with John Moss on Manx Radio. It's good to talk. It's how we get things done. So when you apply for a personal loan from Black Horse, you'll get support from one of our relationship managers who's there to talk you through your application. You could borrow up to £50,000 with up to seven years to pay it back and you could receive your money within 24 hours of approval. Ready to talk? Go to blackhorseoffshore.co.uk to request a call back today. Finance subject to status. Applicants must be 18 or over. Will you be Harry Potter? Scared Potter. Or Katniss Everdeen? Fire is catching. Maybe Charlie Bucket. Or even Boggis, Bunce or Bean. Dress up as your favourite book character for World Book Day and you could win a Kindle plus an Amazon book voucher with Holmes and Davidson Opticians and Mags Radio. Just get your grown-up to post pictures of you as your character on the Mags Radio Facebook page. Teachers can play too. Upload pictures of you in costume for the chance to win a tour of Mags Radio for you and your class. Entry open Thursday, March 2nd, up to and including Sunday, March 5th. World Book Day, with Holmes and Davidson Opticians and your nation station, Max Radio. What a challenging few years for all businesses. At Nicola Bowker & Co, we're proud to be in your corner. But even more proud of the local businesses who have adapted with new technology and prepared for the future. Nicola Bowker & Co. Are you in your last year of college or A-levels? Maybe you've just finished and you're looking for your next step. If that sounds like you, then make sure to visit orchardrecruitment.com. Our fully responsive website enables you to quickly apply for jobs, upload and store your CV, manage job alerts and chat live with our expert recruiters. If you're looking at a career in the finance sector, then take a look at our entry-level positions at orchardrecruitment.com. Orchard Recruitment, a refreshing change. After two weeks on the road, FCL of Man return home in the NWCFL Premier Division this weekend, hoping to keep up their recent turnaround in form. The Ravens welcome Winsford United to the bowl on Saturday night, with the Manx side aiming to make it three wins from their last four games. Join me, Rob Pritchard and Tony Meppen for FCL of Man versus Winsford United this Saturday, kicking off at 6pm. Manx Radio will be providing full live match commentary on our AM1368 and digital platforms. Live coverage of FCL of Man on Manx Radio is supported by Selton, investing in our community. The Man in Line, daily interaction, debate and exchange of ideas. Broadcast on Manx Radio from midday till one, Monday to Friday. With Dr. Allenson today, uh, and uh, just one question. Will you be coming back with tweaks uh, for the budget uh, later on this year? I mean, is is it set in stone? I mean, it, it can't be. I, I, I think this year, to try to predict what things like fuel prices, inflation is going to be like in two or three months is difficult enough. Trying to do it for the full 12 months of a budget cycle is, is almost impossible. And and that's what I've had to be quite honest with um, 
the Tim Wald about is that we're setting out this budget with a lot of assumptions and quite a few people were questioning those. How can you assume that, that people's wages are going to go up, that you'll get more revenue? We have to have some sort of working budget, but what I have committed to is coming back to Tim Wald probably in July to give a bit of an update, to say how our economy is doing, to talk about revenue, to talk about expenditure. And if we do need to do some resets, we will do it. Um, I, I think you know when you're going through a time as we are with so much uncertainty right around the, around the world, we will have to adapt and respond to that as quickly as possible. Is inflation a bet noir? I mean, is inflation that much of a threat? Yes, because it, inflation affects your 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 pocket, um, but also affects government directly as well in in terms of the the things we buy, the th- the things we use. Um, simple things like you, you know the bus fleets going around at the moment. Yes, they are experimenting with a with an electric bus, and that's great to see. But they use an awful lot of diesel. Their their prices skyrocketed when when fuel went up. Similarly, the Nobles Hospital is probably the biggest user of electricity on the island. Their price, their costs went up as well. So inflation is very important. It erodes people's savings. But for those people who maybe are retired and have got money money in the bank, they're suddenly gaining interest for the first time in probably a decade. Yeah, swings and roundabouts. Many people were moaning like bilio when inflation, when interest rate was effectively zero. Yeah, yeah. And, and we went through a period of perhaps a decade of, of record low inflation rates and record low interest rates. That that was unsustainable. We knew it was going to go up um, sooner or later. What we didn't perhaps predict was it would go up so so much so far. And although people have said, you know, I, I mean, when I had my first mortgage, I think the interest rate on it was almost ten percent, and it went it went back in the seventies, eighties, went up to fifteen percent mm. on your mortgage. Um, that was difficult to cope with. People now buying their first home are spending far more on that home. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's far more of their um, disposable income. And so even a modest change of 1% or 2% can really affect people's budgeting. OK, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. You're live with Dr. Allenson. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Minister. And good afternoon, listeners. Uh, uh, Minister, if I could just go back to a, a slight history lesson... Do you recall or have ever read the scope and policy of government report, which was done as a result partially of uh, of cost increases and looking to try and get uh, things under control going back a number of years now? And um, any organisation, government or operation has a number of fixed uh, costs, and one of them that it's only within their grasp, really, I suppose, just going back over what you said about interest rates, etc., is the number of employees. Now, I'm led to believe that since when the scope and policy of government was first spoken about, there was less uh, employees than we currently have. So there was very little observance took, really, uh, as so happens with many government reports. They have put on a shelf and nothing ever happens, as you know. So my question is, coupled with the buoyant Manx economy, would this be an apposite time to revisit issues such as the scope and policy of government and see where the reductions could be in the number of employees? Because you keep hearing, we keep hearing periodically, 
from questions of members who ask questions of which department's got this number of employees and what the total number of employees is, and it always seems to grow with all the uh, extra contributions that happens. Now, what the other point I'd like you to ponder while you're answering is the fact that the Isle of Man economy, the private economy, is calling out for employees. So if we were going to ever have a reduction, this would be the most appropriate time because, as uh, as has been said by many, not least you, there is plenty of employment around that people cannot get. So this is a fixed cost that could be reduced if we can identify the areas where we can reduce the number of employees. And I don't want to get out any government employee. This is not a dig at them. It's just the fact that if we're spending more than we're receiving, we've got a big problem. Yeah, I mean, I mean, thanks very much, Stephen. I, I, I am familiar with the scope of government report. Um, and at that time, there was a recruitment freeze. And, and we've actually had that in Treasury right the way through the last year. Um, but as people leave, you need to replace them. Now, I agree with you that, that I think one of the main parts um, of, of the, the main things that government needs to look at is things like productivity and efficiency, because a lot of the processes we use are quite labor intensive, are paper based. And so so at the moment, we've got a, a digitalization program in the benefit section and also the taxation part of Treasury to look at these very um, factors to see how we can use new technologies, automation to speed up processes so we don't have people sitting at desks, passing bits of paper backwards and forwards, which is boring for them, but also time consuming and expensive to, to run. So part of the budget was to create a transformation fund, which is a reinvention of what used to be called the Invest to Save Fund. And that's particularly looking at how we can get better productivity from what we have. I think you're right in terms of the total number of, of employees that government have. But then when you when you look at some of the departments, the vast majority of those are in areas like health and social care. So our nurses, our doctors, but also in education in terms of our teachers and also support workers there. So there, there is a, a, a finite um, reduction really that you can get in terms of headcount. And we have to make sure that we're still able to provide the right services um, going forward because nobody likes to phone up a department and realise that there's nobody there to answer the phone. So it, it, it's using um, new technologies to actually um, get a more efficient way that people can get a better service from government and hopefully we can bring that forward in terms of the workforce I, I think you're absolutely right when I talk to um, business leaders the two main threats to, to their um, con their continued existence and the, the limits on, on their expansion are inflation but also workforce problems and this is above and beyond just skills they, they need people that they can train and, and so actually even in, in Treasury we've seen people leave Treasury to join the private sector, um, often because they're paying more and, and people want to advance their careers. So so it's getting that balance right the, whereby we can get the right people, some of the brightest people, to join government, but provide those efficient services that are affordable for the taxpayer as well. Thank you. Yes, thank you. A very good reply. It still doesn't really some of the, I, I understand that we, of course, we don't want to uh, reduce the number of people employed in health and uh, front-facing uh, positions because those are important uh, for people who are not internet savvy. But that's not the only um, areas, I'm sure, 
that uh, if we had X number employed at the time of the scope of policy of government, and we've got X number of employed now, wouldn't it be would it, would it not be a possibility to look where these increases have been uh, to see exactly why we've increased them? Because as we've gone forward from that date, we we. I presume that you were adopting the technology, and it can't be all simply down to the technologies. There's got to be some reason. Is it simply because we had the money available uh, and we could spend it and we could increase the number of employed persons? Yeah, and that's one of the things about the, the new way we're doing the budget. It's very much where we're going out to individual departments and say, look, this is the amount of money you've got to spend this year. So you prioritise how you can spend that. What was the most important thing for you to deliver on? And you've got to do that within that envelope. Don't, don't come keep on asking for more and more money. Let's let's get a proper budget that you can work with. Now, in terms of where those extra where those extra people have got to, I know that um, the Cabinet Office have looked into this and are doing ongoing work in terms of the, the size of government. But also you talk about the scope of government and, and what government should be providing and what government should actually not be providing but leaving that up to the private sector and I think that's another another debate that we need to have in terms of on uh, on the Isle of Man the government run a steam railway they run the horse trams they they run a, they run up until recently a campsite and we've heard about the outcry when when when, when um, there are changes to, to that so that there's a whole range on, on the island of things that government do a way of providing those services. Okay. All right. Thanks for that, uh, Stephen. We have to move on now, but because lots of people are, are backed up. But thanks for your call today, uh, Stephen. Appreciate it. On behalf of uh, um, OAPs, I'd like to thank Dr. Allenson for sticking to the triple lock agreement for us all. It was our contribution that helped others during COVID. So it's very nice to have the assistance uh, given to us return. Thank you, says Texter four three nine. Thanks for that. It's Twenty to one now. I had amazing service from the Guernsey Bank Skipton International this week. It's not often you get to speak to a real human. Their follow-up was fantastic, and switching my savings account was so easy and quick. Is that why you chose Skipton? No, I saw how competitive their savings rates are, so I gave them a call on 01481 730 730. Turns out it was easier than I thought to move my account to Skipton. Skipton International is licensed to take deposits by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission and is a participant in the Guernsey Banking Deposit Compensation Scheme. Details at dcs.gg. Terms and conditions apply. The current team at Port St. Mary Golf Pavilion will be leaving on Sunday the 26th of March. We'd like to thank everyone for their custom over the past five and a half years and we hope you can pop in to visit us before we go, either for a tea or coffee and cake or one of our delicious meals. Also, please can you use any gift vouchers before the 26th of March. The Pavilion team will miss all of our customers, but we're looking forward to starting the next chapter of our story and hope to see you all soon. Construction Waste Today. Tells recycle for another day. A builder skip or two. Tell skips will bring to you. At Tell Skip Hire and Waste Disposal in Snugborough, you only pay for the waste you bring. For waste disposal and skips, give us a call on 677-137. That's 677-137. Visit Tells today or find Tells Limited on Facebook. Call Tells Skips today. 677-137.
The Man in Line with Andy Wint. And Dr. Allenson's uh, with us today. Uh, and David, you're live with Dr. Allenson. Hi, Andy. Hi, Mr. Allison. Reference to your responsibility as Treasury Minister there. I just wondered, and I'll flag something up to you. I'm getting really annoyed now that when uh, we want to renew our insurances, uh, do different things with uh, in England, Ireland, Scotland, Norway, Wales, is that we're uh, always criticised because we're not in the UK. I know we're not in the UK. We're in Great Britain. And I just wondered what the department or... Uh, government as a whole is to do to beef up that where we are. We don't speak a foreign language. We're what, half an hour away by plane. Uh, the boat's only a couple of hours. You know, uh, we we have normal money, and I'm I'm just really annoyed all the time that companies are using across there else as an excuse because we live in the Isle of Man. So we live in the Isle of Man. And what about Jersey, Guernsey and the Isle of Wight? You know, do they get affected as well? But what are we doing to strengthen our thing, even on Google to say we exist? Yeah, uh, thanks very much for, for, for the comment, David. And, and I, I get really um, annoyed about this as well. And we've seen some arbitrary decisions, for instance, credit cards. Suddenly, you know, Tesco decided to withdraw them just for people on the Isle of Man, Jersey and Guernsey. And, and again, I, I asked them why and, and had a chat um, with one of their, their um, chief executives. And they said, well, you're not part of the UK anymore. And, and um, we've pulled out of Europe. So we're going to pull the services for, for the rest of you as well. And there, there was that degree, I suppose, of, of ignorance about the Isle of Man um, that I had to explain to them. I had to explain that that we, many of our laws are very similar to the UK, that, that we are a well-run jurisdiction and that we should have exactly the same access to financial services, whether that be insurance or credit cards or various other things uh, as any, any anyone living across. And we are constantly doing work with um, the, the UK providers, but also the UK government, trying to get that message across um, and, and, and I, all I can do is, is apologize for some of the barriers that have been put up which which often are, are based on on, on a, you know a little bit of ignorance and, and this computer says no approach um, to, to it to anything that, that that's outside the home counties we will continue to work with them and, and certainly I, I meet on a regular basis with the, the banks over here Oft, often the, 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 the local managers are very apologetic but the decisions are being taken in head office across, and so I have actually met with um, some, some of some of the, of the boards of the major banks just to try to get them to understand what the Isle of Man is and what it isn't. Keep your finger on the pulse and get it done. Okay. I'll, I'll do my best. Thanks for calling today. Uh, just a quick word about there's a notice of public consultation at uh, the Town Hall in Ramsey on Tuesday the 7th of March, next Tuesday from 4 till 8. This is the proposed residential development, including community facilities uh, and site for a possible future school at the Vollen in North Ramsey. It's uh, Hartford Homes development. Are you familiar with this? Um, I, I, I am. Hartford Homes reached out before this public consultation um, to, to myself and Laurie Hooper, just to, to give us a bit of a heads up on what they were doing, but also explain the, the reasons for it. And, and I think right at the start of this administration, um, Chief Minister Alf Cannon said that housing was, was one of the big priorities for this administration. That was one of the major things during the last election campaign was the the access and affordability of housing, whether whether to buy or whether to rent. And we know that that is a real issue, particularly for, for young 
young people. Um, and, and that was even before we got into increased inflation and ha- increasing house prices and also increasing interest rates. So it is absolutely essential that we deal with um, derelict and empty properties and bring those back onto the housing market. But realistically, if we are to, to meet the demand for people, we also need to build more houses. And, and certainly this um, planning application and this proposal, I think, ticks most of the boxes. Uh, what about the Britannia? <laughs> excuse me, the, the Britannia pub. Yep. Um, what about? And again, there are derelict properties around Ramsey, but often, I mean, are they stymied by planning or getting them listed? What was the problem? Uh, the, the, the Britannia pub we, we, it is, is quite interesting, and, and I asked those very questions, and, and quite quite grateful to um, defra officers who came up to Ramsey to, to meet myself and um, the, the the head of the commissioners to go through what was happening both with the, the, the Britannia pub, um, the former pub, and also some of the other vacant pubs um, in the town. The, the Britannia is a historic building. Apparently, um, it used to be the home of a GP um, before it was turned into a watering hole. Um, but it's seen better days. It, 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 the inside and the outside are falling apart. Um, they, they've had to put a chain across the front because people waiting for the bus were often sheltering un- under the awnings there. And, and those are very rickety. Um, so, so in terms of planning, they wanted to try to preserve that, the, the, the facade. Um, I, and I, I know I've also talked to the brewery who currently own it. They've looked at, at ways that they can modernise it, um, that they can um, develop it into um, uh, accommodation, um, but actually do that in, in a way that, that meets with the, the overall um, feel of what it is is very much um, at the heart of Ramsey. So hopefully by working with DEFA, with planning, with the owners, we can get that brought back into use. Okay. Uh, well, if you want more information, if you're in the north and you're interested, Town Hall in Ramsey next Tuesday, 4 till 8 p.m. is this proposed residential development, including community facilities and a possible school at the Volan in North Ramsey. Uh, I love Ramsey. It marches to the beat of a different drum. It's a lot different to the rest of the Isle of Man. Uh, and I just want, and of course, everybody forgets because Douglas Onkin and Braddon gets lumped together. Ramsey is the second biggest town on the Isle of Man. Well, it, it's it, it's the, probably the biggest town now that Douglas has become a city. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the future for Ramsey, but, you know, we've heard. Or, I mean, is the is the marina dead now? What's going to happen there? Um, the, the, uh, yeah, the, the marina. I, it, it, the, a, a proposal for a marina um, in in Ramsey. Um, there's been a whole a whole range of them going over the last fifty years. Yeah. Um, the, the latest one was one one of the first to look at um, using the shoreline and developing housing on there to, to finance it. Um, I've yet to see any um, movement on that because um, certainly when when we had the last general election, um, there, there were people very much in favour of, of that sort of development, but similarly, there are quite a few people who felt threatened by it, and particularly the loss of the amenity. And so um, from, from my point of view, we, we're no further forward with, with any concrete plans for a marina there. But, but that's, that was only 
only one of many schemes in terms of regeneration of Ramsey. And I think what we've seen over the, particularly the last couple of years, with the work that the commissioners have done to promote the town, um, is investment from people with their businesses, with their shops. I mean, Parliament Street has got some wonderful independent retailers there, um, and they provide a, a fantastic personal service. So if you do want to come up, and whether it's fresh fruit and vegetable from Bry Radcliffe or the farmer's market, whether it's fresh fish from Camelli's, whether it's really good Manx meat from Tears, or whether it's using any of the, the, the other shops there, it really is a, a nice place to come and not have to worry about parking. OK, as a message in from Ronnie, just says, uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm a railway fan. Uh, and the railway station in Ramsey looks a mess, as does the bus station. Yep. But there's speculation that there's consideration being given to either mothballing or closing or scrapping removal part of the track between Laxey to Ramsey to save money. <laughs> um, anything in this? Um, I, 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 I would agree with him that, that the... The, the tram station, the tram depot is tired. The bus station is tired as well. And in the previous administration, there was um, the, uh, a plan to try to amalgamate the two and bring the bus station over to the tram station so we could all, all be integrated and also get it off of the TT course as, as well in terms of the buses. Um, in terms of, so I, I think that's still ongoing to see how we can invest in that, both for local people and visitors who, who come to, to Ramsey, particularly during TT. Sorry. <coughs> In, in terms of the other question um, uh, with the the MER and, and coming all the way out uh, out to Ramsey, that that's still a very popular route, and, and certainly I'm not aware of, of any plans to cut cut back on that. But obviously DOI looking at their budget, looking at the, the schedule for, for the trams, and, and need, needs to to um, communicate that with people. But certainly from my point of view, I don't see any threat to that link to come all the way up to Ramsey. Okay, hi Frank, you're live. <laughs> you're live with Doctor. Allenson. Right, Doc. Nice to talk to you. I'd like you to help the disabled people of the island. I think you understand what disabled means. You're a doctor. But the parking situation in Ramsey is ridiculous. I can't park anywhere on any disabled place in, in Ramsey for the simple reason it's only got an hour's parking. It takes me 10 or 15 minutes to get out of my car and also to get the thing I have to walk. Whereas if I park normally on the street, I get two hours. But why have you only got one hour parking on the disabled? Um, well, thank, thanks very much, Frank, for, for, uh, for raising that. Are you talking about Parliament Street itself? Every, everyone in Ramsey is only an hour. I mean, oh, I wasn't aware of that, to be honest with you. I, I mean, we I know that the commissioners have been working quite closely with um, DOI to try to get more um, parking spaces, and certainly outside... Um ShopRite, there's more parking spaces now for disabled people, but also to get the enforcement to make sure that it is disabled people using those. But I'll certainly ask them about the one-hour restriction and see if that can be extended. OK, all right, that's great. Thank you, Frank. Good to hear from you. Uh, a note in from John, who says, uh, uh, for Dr. Allenson, one of my sons completed his university course through COVID and successfully got his degree, which wasn't easy taking account of restrictions, took out a student loan through the Isle of Man government, which and now earns only slightly above the minimum wage. He hasn't been able to repay any of the loan, but the government interest, which I believe rises in line with the bank rate, so his debt gets bigger at the moment. Does the government have any plans to help 
help students, past or present, by suspending interest demands. John, that is, in Onken. I, I mean, thanks very much for the, for the question, John. Um, you, you're quite right that that's the um, repayment on student loans, when, when it becomes... Um, effective is linked to, to, to base rates and certainly the Department for Education will be looking at that. That's done annually rather than on a monthly basis. So just because interest rates go up, the, the rate on, on a student loan won't go up. Um, I think you're right that what we're, what we're doing as part of the economic strategy and this year's budget is all about laying the foundations for implementing that is looking at how we can um, attract particularly Manx graduates back to our island and so looking at how we can deal with student debt is one one, one of those strategies we'll be looking at to, to make sure that that people are you know can come back to the island that that we can use perhaps any student debt they have as an enticement to come back. We already have a range of of schemes in terms of graduates, national insurance holidays, things like that. But we'll certainly be looking at the whole idea of student debt and how we can use that to to the advantage of students to return. Okay, um, Ramsey Group practice. Now you can you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is text to 488. Ramsey Group practice has 18,000 patients, apparently. How can you expand Ramsey without adding another GP surgery? Um, the, 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 your um, listener is, is quite right. The, the, the list size of, of Ramsey is, is, is quite extensive because it's the, the main practice in the north and it goes all the way um, down to Kirk Michael, all the way up to, to, to Bride um, and Andrus. Um, the, the group practice work out of their base in, in Ramsey, but all also work out of the Jerby Health Centre as well, and that's given some extra space um, to 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 attract more services and provide more uh, appointments. Um, it's certainly moving forward. I know that um, one of the main parts of Max Care and the Department of Health and Social Care's work is looking at general practice, looking at primary care, trying to um, provide what's called primary care at scale. So providing more services for people, so that when they come into GP practice, they may see the GP. They may see a paramedic, they may see a nurse, they may see a pharmacist, a counsellor, having all those services available locally. And, and we can do that both out, out of the, the current practice through Jerby, but also other facilities in, in the north. OK, uh, back to the budget then. When do you expect the first tweak to be? Um, I mean, we, we work with um, departments on a regular basis as, as their bills come in, as they want to expand services. So that that's ongoing work. Um, what I have um, committed to, to Timwald um, is to come back probably in July to give um, a statement in terms of the state of our economy, the state of the world economy, what our assumptions of, of whether they've been proved right. And if we do need to, to reset the budget, to, to reset in terms of revenue and expenditure, we will do that. Also, as part of this budget, setting out a taxation strategy and a re- review of national insurance as well. And that will be ongoing right the way through the year. OK, uh, thanks for being with us today. And uh, do look after that cough, whatever you do. Thanks very much, Andy. Thanks for being with us today. Dr Allenson's been with us on Man in Line today, Treasury Minister. So well, we're back to Ramsey and another minister tomorrow. Laurie Hooper, leader of Liberal Vanin, DHSC minister, will be on Man in Line. And on Monday, Dewan McGuinness. If you want to raise any questions about Ramsey and the North in general, by all means get in touch. Email maninlineatbanksradio.com. Call the answer phone on 682631. Sorry, we didn't get to every call today and uh, didn't read every text or email out, but everything does get read. And I thank you for getting in touch. Thanks to Paul Moran. 
on the phones today. If you've enjoyed us on YouTube and Facebook, thank you. W.